Let's pray together. Father, we come and we ask you, Lord, to open this text to us. And uh, Lord, I ask you for your help, for your anointing, that, Father, you would lead, you would guide. And, uh, Lord, we bless you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, how many... uh, how many former Catholics do we have? Yeah. So we're. This is a, a part of our confession where we're, there's some very positive statements and there's some very negative statements that are coming against some something, some false doctrine, and uh, all part of what took place uh, following the Reformation. But in chapter thirty, in paragraph two. Is it up there? There we go. If you just follow along as I read it. In this ordinance, Christ is not only offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sin of the quick or dead, but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same, so that the popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominable, injurious to Christ's own sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. So they don't really mince words in the confession, uh, calling the Mass the offering up of Christ again, Sunday after Sunday, as an abomination. And you think about if we go to Scripture, and we go to John uh, chapter 19 and verse 30. As Jesus had received, he's, he's hanging on the cross, he receives, they offer him the sour wine. He said, what, was it, what did he say? It is finished. It's done complete the sacrifice is over it's been accomplished and bowing his head he gave up his spirit and and we look at as we remember the lord's death on the cross his sacrifice his atonement for your sins and his atonement for my sins as we remember this it, it it's it's not a literal offering up it's a remembrance it's symbolic and in, as, as we hear every Sunday as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, in Luke 22 and 19, and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. What's he say? Do this in remembrance of me. As the, as, uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper as an ordinance, we don't call it a, sac- a sacrament, we call it an ordinance. As it was instituted by the Lord himself in the Last Supper, in the final Passover, this Passover that the Lord so desired to celebrate and to have with his disciples. Because he was making atonement for their sins as well as yours and mine in that one offering, that one sacrifice. And so we look back. And we do it in remembrance of him. We remember. We proclaim. We memorialize this, the greatest of all events in history. 
Communion is it's a looking back intelligently. Not in some mystical way, but intelligently. With our intellect. At the finished work of Christ on the cross. When he said it is finished. It was finished. And you and I, we have assurance that we can rest in that. And it can bring great peace to our hearts. And here in the, in the confession we see that this idea of offering Christ again as a fresh sacrifice, this would be abominable. This would be hateful. This would be the most detestable thing because it injures, as, as the confession states, it injures Christ. It doesn't injure his sacrifice. It can't affect his sacrifice. It's done. It's complete. Nothing can be done to injure that. But it can tarnish. It can injure the glory of God, of this great thing that God has accomplished on your behalf and my behalf. And it, 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 it can tarnish the glory of Christ and weaken. Turn with me to uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9. If you have a Bible, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 25. Sometime it's a, it's, it's a nice thing if you, if you just take a, a Sunday afternoon and read through the book of Hebrews. Um, it's not that long of a read. But here, at the end of chapter 9, the author of the, of the book of Hebrews, verse 25, says, Let's back up. Let's back up to 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. They're talking about the sacrificial system. All of the the blood of bulls and goats and and the temple and all of these things, the utensils, uh, all of that being ended. And it being a type and a shadow of something better to come. And then 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. The high priest would come in on the day of atonement once a year, and he would bring the, bulls of blood, uh, the, the blood of bulls and goats. He's carrying uh, an atonement for his own, he has to make atonement for his own sin first, and he's carrying the blood of bulls and goats in with a rope tied around his ankle because if there was sin and God would kill him and they would pull out his dead body. But Christ entered into that holiest of holies with his own blood. Making the greatest sacrifice of all for you and I. He says this is, this is the better copy. Verse 25 not that he should offer himself often. Okay, you see that? In the Catholic Mass, he's offered every Sunday. Like the high priest daily making sacrifices for the sins of Israel. It says not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. So this was an annual sacrifice. And then there were daily sacrifices. 
he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly await for him. He will appear a second time, as we heard this morning. It's looking for that glorious appearing, that second appearing. He's coming again. But here, one sacrifice, one time forever, satisfied the wrath of God, propitiation. The wrath of God was satisfied. Why wrath? Because God is just, because God is holy. And he can't tolerate any sin. And so Christ appeased that wrath for you and I. Let's flip over here to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Not Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. As if Christ, one sacrifice was not enough. It was enough. That's all. It's finished. And every priest stands ministering daily. Here's the daily sacrifice and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It can't take away, it couldn't take away their sins, and it couldn't clean, cleanse their guilty consciences. Nor can anything you do cleanse your guilty conscience. Only the precious blood of Christ. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by, again, here it is, one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. A better sacrifice a better high priest, a better temple, a better covenant. One time forever. Was this sacrifice not enough to satisfy God? The cross of Christ satisfied the justice of God. Does Christ need to be smitten again? What happened with Moses when he smote the rock a second time? Does the wrath of God need to be poured out on Christ every Sunday? Does Christ need to be made sin every Sunday? How can he who sits at the right hand of God, who's ascended, be offered again for anyone's sin? One perfect children, listen, one sacrifice, one time forever. And you have access to that sacrifice by faith. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and repenting from your sin. <clears throat> and if you have believed on Christ, that by that one sacrifice you have been justified. You have been, been, you have been declared righteous according to the law of God. Paragraph 4. The denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements, the lifting them up, or carrying them about for adoration and reserving them for any pretended religious use, 
are all contrary to the nature of this ordinance and to the institution of Christ. So here there's five things that are listed from the celebration of the Roman Catholic Mass. The first is the denial of the cup. I never knew this as a, as, as a Catholic under, growing up. I didn't understand why only certain people got the drink of the cup. Because for two centuries, actually more centuries than that, actually no, it was, it was in, in the 60s, the Vatican II, when they reversed course on this. But lay people couldn't drink from the cup because they, because they literally believe it's, it's literally the blood of Christ and somebody could spill that blood. And so you deny them the cup. When Jesus said, do what? Do this in remembrance of me. We take the cup every Sunday. We take the bread every Sunday. Or as often as a church deems it. Now, some churches do it 12 times a year, whatever. They do it a couple times a year. But when you do it, but they've denied the cup. The second thing is they worship the elements. Because uh, it's, it's a lifting up of the Eucharist. Once the Eucharist is lifted up and it becomes the literal body of Christ, now that's Eucharist. They worship that. They adore that, that, that um, the Eucharist because they believe it is literally the body of Christ. And the carrying of them about for adoration and reserving them for any pretended use. And our proof text, Matthew 15, 9, that in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then, of course, we, when we went through the regulative principle, we, we came back to Exodus. And we're not to make carved images. We're not, to, we're not to worship idols. We're not to have anything that even looks like Christ. And, well, there's artifacts or... Things of that sort. But in, the, in the, ten, the ten words, the ten commandments, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Paragraph 5. The outward elements in this ordinance duly set apart to use to the use ordained by Christ have such relation to him crucified as they truly, although in terms used figuratively, they are sometimes called by the names of the things they represent. In other words, the body and the blood of Christ. Albeit in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. So these terms are used symbolically. This is my body. This is, you, you know, you well, look at John 6.53. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Were they going to begin to, as he's celebrating his supper with them, they're going to begin to eat his flesh? They begin, they're going to begin to chew on him? Is he going to cut himself and let them drink some of his blood? No, he's speaking symbolically. Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God doth man live. We don't literally eat the book. Well, one of the prophets was instructed to eat the book. 
But we're to take it in, aren't we? We're to receive the engrafted word. We're to memorize, meditate, chew on it. But it's it's symbolic. And like Jesus says, I am the door. He's the door. And he's the light of the world. Is he a light? No, he's speaking. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. It's a symbol. He says, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. It's a partaking of Christ. It's being one with Christ. It's, it's a receiving of Christ. It's being in communion with Christ. Being in sweet fellowship with our Savior. But it's all of it by faith that this occurs. And then in paragraph 6. That doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest or by any other way, is repugnant, not to scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason, overthrows the nature of the ordinance, and has been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. Again, the, the, author of our, the authors of our confession don't mince words. Roman Catholic Church literally, they, they teach that the bread and cup actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. The moment that you, many of us, we, we've been to, uh, many times for me, some of you have never been in a Catholic church, Roman Catholic church, but as the Eucharist is lifted up, and when the, when the priest says, this is my body, they believe that that Eucharist, that wafer, literally becomes the body of, of Christ. The same with the cup. And then they adore a word for worship. They worship the Eucharist because they believe it literally is Christ. And they carry, you see it in, in all of the, the things that they do. So here's what uh, Ludwig Ott says in the Fundamentals of the Catholic Dogma. He says, the Holy Mass is a true and a proper sacrifice. That's what they believe. In the sacrifice of the Mass and in the sacrifice of the cross, the sacrificial gift and the primary sacrificing priest are identical. Only the nature and mode of the offering are different. The sacrificial gift is the body and blood of Christ. The primary sacrificing priest is Jesus Christ, who utilizes the human priest as his servant and representative and fulfills the consecration through him. According to the Thomistic view, in every Mass, Christ also performs an actual immediate sacrificial activity, which, however, must not be conceived as a totality of many successive acts, but as one single uninterrupted sacrificial act of the transfigured Christ. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing sacrifice, not as we saw in Scripture, the one sacrifice, one time, forever, being finished, being completed, being accepted by the Father. 
And then he says there's a propitiatory, propitiatory sacrifice. The sacrifice of the mass affects the remission of sins. And the punishment for sin. So it has an effect on your sins right there as, he, as that mass is being, as that sacrifice is being made in a Catholic church. As a sacrifice of appeal, it brings about the conferring of supernatural and natural gifts. <clears throat> the Eucharistic sacrifice of propitiation can, as the Council of Trent expressly asserted, be offered not merely for the living but also for the poor souls in purgatory. So my grandparents were very faithful Catholics. My, my dad died when I was a kid. He was 37 years old. <clears throat> and they would give gifts to the Catholic Church, and then there would be days when they would say Mass for my dad because he's in, the way they would view it, he's in purgatory. And that by saying Mass, by offering, up a sac- offering Christ up again as a sacrifice, that somehow God would accept that sacrifice and he would be taken from purgatory into heaven. But what's scripture say? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> in the same manner, he also took the cup So, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink, again, in remembrance of me. He's proclaiming, this is what we do in our communion service every Sunday. We're we're proclaiming that this has been done for you. This has been accomplished, and we're going to remember it. Think about Jesus as he's celebrating the Passover, and he's saying these things to them. About breaking the bread, he breaks the bread. In, in Mark 14.22, he says, When they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup. Again, it's symbolic. He didn't offer him his arm. It's like, as John Frame says, imagine that there was a picture of, of the of uh, there was a map on the table on the Passover table and 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 there's a there's a it's a map and there's France and he's saying he's pointing at the map and he's saying this is France he's pointing to the place on the map is this literally France where they're standing no and so Jesus is giving them a picture and we do this symbolically. And we partake of the benefits of his redemption as it's earned for you and I a place in the kingdom of God. And it's the spiritual nourishment <clears throat> necessary for our souls. Now, the Luther, Martin Luther, you know, he was off on that. It was consubstantiation. He believed that it didn't literally become, but that the presence was in the elements. That Christ is not sacrificed again, but that literally Christ was present in the elements. And then the reformers 
began to come back to what Scripture says. And again, our communion, as we saw so beautifully this morning, our communion is a fellowship with one another. We do this together, and that's why it's done in, in the local assembly. And it's a, it's a picture of our communion with Christ, our union with Christ. And it's a picture, though, of a, of a greater communion that's coming, of that final marriage supper of the Lamb that you and I ought to be looking forward to. When Jesus said he would not drink of the fruit of the vine again until what? Till he partook of it together with them in in heaven. One sacrifice, one time. And we look to that one sacrifice. It takes away our guilt. It brings us into fellowship with God. It cleanses us. It justifies us. He was offered for you and I as an atonement for our sin in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserved, a double imputation. Our sin was imputed to him. His righteousness was imputed to us. The great exchange. What a glorious promise. Oh, we dare not tarnish that. To say that Christ has to be offered again and again and again. We look back. Amen. Father, thank you for Christ. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a God. Father, we are so grateful, so thankful. In this Advent season, as we celebrate the incarnation of your Son, Oh, Father, we rejoice in what you have given. Truly joy to the world. Our Emmanuel has come, God with us. And, Father, we bless you forever. Amen.